How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Oh, welcome everyone to Chasing Giants with Don Higgins, brought to you by Biofarm.com. I'm Terry Peer. This is episode 40 on November 29th. Don, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Good. How are you, Terry? Good. We got a really cool episode tonight. Uh, we're going to go over a lot of things and, and still try to stay around our uh, our hour time limit. But um, it's it was, it was a big week this Thanksgiving week, uh, wasn't it, with the release of Mel? Yeah, you know, I'd been looking forward to that video uh, since October 30th, the day I shot Mel. Um, Steve Shields, you know, can work magic with video, and and uh, I was just so anxious to see it as well as a lot of other people were as well. Um, and I wasn't a bit disappointed. And I don't think anyone else was either. Well, I think it was an awesome production, and we're going to get Steve on the line with us here in just a little bit, but um, I want to tease and tell everybody that they need to hang around for the end of the podcast because you are going to choose the first winner for the master class free pass so uh one of the i think you're giving away one free pass to each master class is that right that's right the so, first one uh, will be for the uh march 13th okay um event so, so stay tuned to the end of the podcast we'll release that um and then we're also going to talk about uh finishing up the rut report and tips and ideas for moving forward for those of you who haven't filled a tag so a lot to go over tonight. I want to jump right into um, to the Mel video that released on uh, Thanksgiving. And let's see, uh, do we have Steve on the line right now? Steve, are you there? I'm here, Terry. All right. Hey, Don. So everybody, hey, this, is, this is Steve Shields. Um, everybody got a small glimpse of Steve. I forget what episode it was, but it was the live event that we held uh, where we had a live audience, and Steve uh, spliced in a picture of him sitting on top of a pole about <laughs> nine foot up, getting some uh, getting some video footage of, of Don checking a trail camera. So glad to have Steve on tonight. It's really important uh, for, for us to have him here tonight to talk about this video. Just fantastic job, Steve. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it was a pretty special project for sure, and it was it was just a glimpse into Don's life, which is pretty interesting for sure. So, Don, I'm going to let you kind of kick it off, and I got a couple. I got a couple takeaways and things that I I saw in the last uh, production uh, edit that Steve released out on YouTube. Uh, what are your overall takeaways from the video and then from the response of everything? Well, I, I couldn't be more happy with the video. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. It's uh, a style that you don't usually see with hunting videos, but uh, 
it was extremely well received. I, I bet you I read uh, over a hundred comments. Uh, some of them were sent to me privately, and some of them were left uh, on YouTube. But I know I read over a hundred that uh, the people said it was the best hunting video they'd ever seen. And last night I actually got a call. I'm sitting there, and I, I my phone says someplace in Ohio, and I figure it's a consulting client or something. And and I answer, and it's a 63-year-old gentleman from Ohio. He just watched the video, and he said, I had to call you. That is the best video I've ever seen in my life. He said, I'm 63 years old, and that's what a hunting video should be, hands down the best one I've ever seen. And for a guy to pick up the phone and, and research me to find my phone number and, and call and say that, I mean, that just speaks volumes about the quality of that video. Um you know, I, I think God brings certain people together, and and I think He brought Steve into my life to to match our talents, which are very different. I couldn't begin to do the things that He does, but uh, I think uh, we got a bright future ahead of us working together. Well, th- thanks for saying that, Don. I, I got to be honest with you. This project was kind of special to me because we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of years. And I think the reason why it's so special is because I see the comments and I see the things on social media that people say. And they truly, sometimes they say things and they don't understand the situation. I feel like this was such a good glimpse into 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 who you are as a person, but also as a hunter, also as a Christian. I, I mean, just it gives people just kind of that opportunity to see you in kind of in a human aspect, you know, not only do you kill these giant deer, but you know, your first thing you want to do is get your grandkids there. That's not made up. I mean, that's genuine. And I think, I think you can produce really good videos if you have really good content, really good subjects. And I think, I think the combination of the person that you are Don, and, and you know, the deer was obviously very, very special, but, but the, the work and, and the, the, you know, your faith and everything else just kind of came together so easy on the edit. It, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty special, really. It was one of, one of the most, probably one of my most favorite things that I've done. So I, I actually should be thanking you for, for letting me have this opportunity, man, because it, uh, it was pretty special. And I shared it with my family before anyone else saw it. And there was a moment where even my wife said, you know, that's pretty emotional. Like there's, there's parts in there that kind of, if you don't feel them, then maybe you're hunting for the wrong reason, you know? I know the uh, first time I saw it, Steve was at my work and uh, yeah. it wasn't out in public. So Steve handed me my, his phone and I walked into a conference room and went in there for 20 some minutes and came back out and Steve's doing a photo shoot with all of his nerd equipment, you know, all around and all these lights looks like a tanning bed above his head. And, and I just, he had his hands full. So I just in a, um, manly way, of course, slid his phone back in his back pocket. <laughs> and right. I, I think, I, I think my, my statement to you is like, wow, that's emotional. And, uh, and it was a couple hours before we got to talk about it. I think that, um, you know, I think it, it's truly, uh, I, I give a lot of tribute to God because so many things just kind of fell into place outside of the, the part of the deer. Um, one of the things that, people don't know is the cutaways of um of myself and al foster were actually filmed 
beginning of October. Is that right? Like mm-hmm. November 2nd. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. only one person sent me a message uh, about it. And they said, the beans are green and there's green leaves on the trees <laughs> in your footage. And I was like, I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, how did you know the script? Because some of the things that I said in my interview basically fell right in line. Perfect with how, you know, the storyboard that Steve put together the story. I thought it was really cool. Well, I think I, I mentioned that to you, Terry, like you and I kind of talked cause you know, you hadn't seen it until we saw each other. And I, I, I was pretty adamant about Terry, like, you could not have, I couldn't have written a script for you to read any better than what you said in the clip that made the video. And, you know, you know, you remember that video. It was long. It was several pieces long, but that clip in there, it couldn't have been more perfect. So if it's not a God thing, I, I really don't know what it is because, you know, when you're editing, you know, you've got all these clips and you got to cut all this stuff together. And, you know, you're watching so many minutes and hours of footage and there was just that one section of your interview. I was like, this has to go in. Like it was so perfect, man. It was, it, it has to be a God thing. That's so, the only thing I can explain it by. So this video, um, it was released on Thanksgiving morning. Um, I, I won't lie. I was up at three o'clock cause, <laughs> uh, and by the time, I think it did you set it for uh that it would that it would come out at three AM? Is that what time it was? Yeah, 3 I think it was about three twenty, three forty or something before I finally got uh woke up enough to actually watch it. And I think <laughs> I was already at number eight seventy five and I'm like, Holy cow, eight hundred and seventy five <laughs> people's already watched wow. this and then through Thanksgiving Day, it was no time, and it was ten thousand, and then it was twenty thousand, and I'm I'm texting Steve. I think Steve was hunting that morning, and I'm texting Don, and I'm like, "Holy cow! There's a bunch of people watching this." And uh, as it sets today, we're pushing a um, hundred and twenty thousand views. Um, um, you know, um, I think I think one of the things that um, is is kind of fascinating about it is the nature of youtube with subscriptions and likes and dislikes uh you're always going to bring out the trolls and Mm -hmm. and don said from the beginning he wasn't going to get in the muck and uh and kind of you know argue with people on there and i gladly took the opportunity to jump in and do it and then our friend todd hewing got he actually created a, a Google account just so he could comment <laughs> to a couple of these, but, but Don overwhel- overwhelming, uh, positive response back to you. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I didn't, you know, the, the people that made negative comments, they didn't even use their real name. They were just using handles. They're just not even worth even talking about really. But, um, the, the people that contacted me, they used their names and they had nothing but, great things to say and um it, it's actually one of the highlights of my hunting career uh seeing that video i think so. i think no matter what you could you could um you could post a, a video about a lab puppy running through sunflowers on a sunny day and people there'd be a certain amount of people that would um you know, comment negative on it. Um, I know, um, there's a YouTube channel out there called outdoors with the Morgans that I watch a lot and their son married a a young woman from Thailand and they did a short clip announcing that they were pregnant. 
and it got like 130 negative thumbs down. And I'm like, how is that even possible? So I, I it's it's fine. Um, I don't mind getting in there and setting people straight. The the one thing that I do like about it is that, that how many people got maybe a spiritual or a an insight about a relationship with God and family out of this that wasn't even related to the hunting side. And if that just made one spark to uh, put in perspective somebody's personal life with the Lord or their family, I think that was really cool. Absolutely. And again, Steve just did a fantastic job with what he had to work with. So, Well, I, I thank you, Don. I, I, I got to talk a little bit about the production when we were filming the, um, the piece there where most of the documentary style is where you were talking. It was pretty funny because I told Don, I said, um, you know, let me, let me do a couple things with the camera, um, just on some cutaway shots after, after he of course nailed the, you know, nailed his monologue, which was, it's pretty incredible how he does that. But I know there was one specific instance where I had the camera pretty close to his face and it was really funny because, and this tells you the genuineness of Don, he's sitting there while I'm, you know, inches from his face with his camera lens and he's saying, I feel awkward. I don't know what to say right now. I don't know what to do right now. And I said, Don, just trust me, man. I'm telling you, I think this might work out. And he was kind of like, well... Okay, I do. I have you, a, but do I have really a booger? <laughs> you got a telephoto lens an inch from his face. <laughs> That's right. It was so awesome. He's like, "You want me to talk? You want me to say anything?" I'm like, "No, let's finally get some cutaway stuff." But it, it. I mean, you saw kind of how it came together, and then you know those voiceover pieces that Don did. It just, it all productions typically, with my experience, don't come together this smoothly. They just really, really don't. I mean, again, I feel like I'm kind of blowing smoke a little bit, but the truth of the matter is they just normally don't come together this easy. But having the content that we had and the way that we shot it was very few takes. It was just from a nerd side of things, to coin a phrase, Terry, from a nerd side of things, <laughs> things normally just don't go this smooth. They just really don't. Between Terry, your interview, uh, Al Foster's interview, and you know the, the job that Don did, the very few takes, it just I don't know. It kind of wrote itself. And it, I, I guess I didn't realize how it was going to touch people that way, you know, because as, as an editor and a producer, you always worry that the message isn't going to be received the way you want it to be received. I'm not talking about the naysayers, right? I'm not talking about the people who dislike everything, but I'm talking about is the message about the person that you're trying to tell really coming out. And when you see feedback where people say that they love the fact that, Don puts his faith out front, right? In a genuine way, then you can at least say, well, at least the message was received by most people the right way. And that for as an editor and a producer, I mean, that that's probably the biggest compliment you could get, you know, from anything really. Well, um, I do want to tell you, Steve, that there's two things that I, I thought were above and beyond. Um, I think I mentioned in the video, I think part of that cut is that I was running the camera the year yeah. that he passed uh, Mel the, in the first clip. But what people don't know, because you did such a good job, I think the, the proper term is color grading the video. Yeah, um, yeah. If, if you saw the cut before he color graded it, you could see the difference in the two cameras. Don had a camera, I had a camera. The, the shot to end the video, I never yeah. saw. 
that was off Don's camera. I was blocked out by the pine tree because I was on the right-hand side of the blind. So uh, he got out of my frame, but that shot of Mel walking away and turning going down the hill to end the video – that yeah. that's powerful stuff, man. That was really cool. And, and the, the whole fact is, you know, that that's kind of what the, the closing book in that went back to Don's Don's whole narrative that, you know, now the chase is over for this one, find another one, but that I'd never seen that footage with, that was pretty awesome. Um, but most of all, I, I think I agree with you the most, uh, on, I appreciate you letting people see a little bit more true glimpse of Don than a one sentence response on social media or an interview or something where things can be taken out of contest. And That's right, um, I, well, I just, I appreciate, Terry. I appreciate you doing that so that a close friend and mentor of mine uh, is is represented in a way that's that's really the most accurate way, and even even a couple of the I responded to a uh, guy on on YouTube. He left a comment. He said, um, "I didn't follow you for a long time because of this perception," and it, it's a pretty lengthy comment. And he goes, "My mind has changed." I, I and and I said I even responded said you you don't understand how much this means because people got to see it. So thank you for, for bringing that side of it to, to the table. For sure, man. I, I feel like Terry, you and I are pretty lucky to, to, we get to see kind of Don in his natural element, right? Like we're the ones that get to see, I mean, me following him around with the camera. I mean, with your business dealings with him and the co-host and, you know, as much time as you spend with him, we get to see the work that he puts in and we get to see the genuineness of who Don really is. That doesn't normally translate on a, on a Facebook post, you know, or an Instagram post. It was, it was just a good opportunity to give people a little glimpse into Don's one of the most humble guys on the planet. You know that, like he never takes credit for hardly anything, right? Like he's, I just, I feel like it's people should really know the real Don. And hopefully we gave him a little bit of a, a piece of that. Like, I guess the next show, if we ever get any more shows, he's going to be, People are going to be lined up to get his autograph now. Well, I can tell you one thing. He's really <laughs> uncomfortable with me and you talking about this right now. I'm sure he is. That's why he's so quiet. I guarantee it. But that's okay. That's well, what makes it genuine. Right? Well, we, we okay, have a little uh, announcement. dollars bills, I promise you, on the way. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have an announcement that we're going to make while Steve is on the line of something that's coming up. But before we do that, Don, um, you know, we're going to move off of the Mel video. Um, do you, do you have anything just to kind of close out to let the Steve or the, the people who watch the video know before we, before we move on and make the announcement? Well, I just hope everybody, uh, realizes that, you know, when it comes to chasing giant whitetails, there's probably nobody crazier about it than I am to use your word, Terry. But when it, the, the greatest thing deer hunting ever did to me was the people it brought into my life. Um, there, there's no person or no buck more important than the people. Um, and you guys are two of those important people. And, you know, we wouldn't even be friends if it wasn't for the whitetail deer and deer hunting. And that's the greatest thing that deer ever did for me is, and, and I'm probably the most passionate person you'll ever find when it comes to chasing these giant bucks, but I try to keep my priorities in order and, when I was younger, it was, to be honest, I, I didn't always do that. 
and uh, I'm still not perfect. You know, I still make a lot of mistakes, and um, but you know, being a Christian, we realize that we're not perfect, and that's why we need Christ. So, um, I've gotten better at overlooking other people's shortcomings, and and I've tried to work on my own at the same time, and. I'm sure there's people that knew me as a, as a teenager in my 20s or whatever that probably seen that video and are probably thinking, I don't know who the world that guy was, but he ain't the Don Higgins I know. <laughs> you know, so uh, um, to those people, you know, I just, uh, I think that video did a fantastic job of representing who I am today. Um, even 10 years ago, that, that video was probably not a very good representation of who I was. Uh, we're all a work in progress, and, and that video shows where I'm at today, and I'm hoping 10 years from now I can look back and say, uh, man, that was me. I hope I'm moving, continue to move in a forward direction. Well, and the uh, the lesson there is as you surround yourself with the people that encourage and hold you accountable on that, and that's, you know, there's there's not a time that the three of us don't have a conversation and put each other in check. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, but then we move on and okay, that's okay. Let's go. Um, that's, yep. that's what good Christian friends do for each other when they, um, when they, uh, are in a relationship with each other, you hold each other accountable and, you know, and bad situations that ha- has happened in our lives have really enabled us to have the friendship that we've had. Um, yeah, you know, if there wasn't, yeah. if there wasn't some real turmoil that, that happened in our life, uh, we probably wouldn't even be friends now. So um, I think that's uh, just how you uh, position yourself and surround you yourselves with, with good people. So for those people who have um, watched the video and seen this production that Steve put together, there's a really cool opportunity. And Don, why don't you take it over and talk about this? But for all of those guys out there that, uh, that like the production work, uh, pretty cool thing getting ready to happen. Well, in the past year or so, I got to spend a lot of time with Steve. He spent a lot of time, spent a lot of nights, stayed at my place. And, uh, you know, we was putting film clips together for not only this video, but other YouTube videos and video and a lot of clips that haven't even been seen yet. Um, I got to know Steve really well and, and really got to appreciate his talents. Uh, my YouTube channel was 100% put together by Steve. I mean, everything there, I, I did not push one button to enter anything on that YouTube channel. The videos were all Steve's work. Creating that uh, YouTube channel was all Steve's work. And as I got to know him and know the kind of person he is and, his, and really see his talents, I saw an opportunity and I kind of approached Steve about it. And I said, you know what? Have you ever thought about hosting a film school? And uh, he, he kind of perked up and, you know, mm-hmm. that was something that he was very interested in. And I said, well, what would you think about hosting a film school on my farm? You know, the same place that we hold the master class. Um, you know, you, you can teach the class. Cause basically, I'm not going to teach anybody anything except how to put the camera on auto and, and run with it. But, uh, you know, we're going to, so we're going to have a film school, Chasing Giants Film School. It's going to be hosted at my farm. Steve's going to be the guy teaching it. I will be there every step of the way. And, um, part of it's going to be in a classroom, but a lot of it's going to be in the field. And, um, you know, I'm going to be doing whatever I'm doing that time of the year for part of that day. And the students are going to be filming me if it's food plot planning time.
food plots and, and working with Steve uh, as he helps the, the students, you know, capture the, the story, as he likes to say. And, you know, this, this video of Mel was a good representative representation of, of Steve's talents. But just so people know, you know, Steve's been working with some of the biggest names in the honey industry. And he's produced TV shows for some of the biggest names in the industry. Um, there's a lot of people trying to get into the industry, you know, filming their hunts or whatever. And as part of this film school, the opportunity is going to be there for people to, for the students to have their hunts aired on the Chasing Giants uh, YouTube channel, which is growing by leaps and bounds. And we're just getting started. We got all, I mean, it's not even six months old. And we got all kinds of uh, of plans in the works, but I'm going to let Steve take it away here in a second. But, uh, you know, this film school is an opportunity to learn from one of the hunting industry's best photographers, videographers, and uh, producers. So, um, and it's like I said, again, it's going to be on my home farm and uh, we're going to take care of you while you're there. And uh, with Steve teaching you, I'm sure you're going to learn a lot. Well, I, I'm super excited about it. Um, not only just to be with you guys, you know, kind of doing this thing under the Chasing Giants banner, but but also for the fact of, you know, creative, talented people, you know, would kind of relate on a on a different level. Um, but in within the hunting industry, I think it's so important now more than ever that you got to have some subject matter. I think you can put a vlog out there and just talk about what you had for lunch. But I think when it comes to the outdoor channel or the outdoor, um, you know, genre, so to speak, you really need to tell a story. You got to grab your viewers and do that. That's something I've been passionate about for a long time. Like, uh, like you said, Don, I've been doing this for uh, a long time and I just feel like it's time for me to share uh, with other people what I've learned. And, you know, what, what we want to go over and what we want to talk about isn't something that I learned in film school myself in college or anything. It was what I've learned being, you know, 12,000 feet in the mountains with failing camera batteries and bad SD cards and trying to figure out how I'm going to get my footage without losing it, sub-zero temperatures and all that stuff. Like, I've been there. I've gotten up at 4 a.m. in the morning, worked until 10 o'clock at night and archive footage till 2 in the morning and done that for 17 days straight. So... I've done, I've done it and I've been there and I'm super, super excited to, to share what I've learned, not just on a camera side of things. Cause I do have a tendency sometimes to nerd out about the technology. Cause Amen. I think it's so cool. Amen. You know, right? exactly. But the people like, coming, I mean, but the people that are coming <laughs> to this event are going to want to learn that side. That's what they're there for. So yeah, it's just the stupid right. guys like me that have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Pick on you because of our own insecurities. Oh, Don, you know that Terry look that we get with the glasses like, you're nerd now, dude. You're mm-hmm. nerd now. <laughs> <laughs> but so we're going to cover a lot of camera techniques. Um, we're going to cover kind of what the cameras do. But the really cool part is that we get, to, we get to do it in the classroom and then we get to go out and we get to apply it. And the biggest thing is that we might be lying on our bellies in, in dirt and trying to get the sun just right and all of that stuff. But you'll see how all of those shots progressively go together and how you can actually capture, how you'll start to see things different. My family, uh, back when we were able to go to movies, uh, would always get mad at me because I'd always be talking about the shot in the movie instead of the actual content of the movie. Like, oh, that was a great shot. You know, that they used this and they did this. But 
you'll start to see things different. And I think that's that's the goal with Don and I is to kind of help people. Like these are the steps you need to follow to be a good storyteller. And we've got some really great, exciting stuff uh, happening. We've got some surprises that'll probably happen during the class as well. So it, it's going to be it's going to be fun. We're going to have a lot of fun, and, uh, and we're going to learn some stuff while we do it. And I just want to say thanks to Don for you know even bringing this up and having me being involved. I feel like I'm the blessed one here for sure. Now you're the talented one. We're all blessed, but you're the talent. <laughs> right. Well, the, the only value—the only value that I will bring to this whole film school <laughs> thing, if I am there, is I promise to our listeners I will go Facebook Live with all of the students with the camera two inches from Don's face, reenacting, reenacting the photo, sh- the the video footage yeah. of Mel, and uh, I'll make sure I share that with everyone. Please. <laughs> I'm done being a model. <laughs> You're a natural, Don. You're a natural. Well, well, Steve, again, thank you so much for the awesome work you did um, sharing the story. Um, I think it deserved the amount of effort and quality that um, that was put into it. And thank you for joining us um, for uh, to talk a little bit about the video and the film school coming up. We appreciate you. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. All right, see you, buddy. All right, so, so Don, we're gonna we're gonna switch gears here. Let's talk a little bit about the rut report ending uh, as the rut winds down. Tell us what's going on out in the woods right now. Okay, well, I'm gonna throw out there real quick, Terry. Info on the film school can be found on HigginsOutdoors.com, my website. It is not there yet, but it will be within the next couple of days. There'll be info on the dates. There'll be a video um, from some of the biggest names in the industry. Uh, talking about Steve. So go to HigginsOutdoors.com, look for the film school. Um, the rut is just about over, Terry. It's uh, winding down. I know tomorrow the temperature here in Illinois is supposed to be 20 degrees cooler than it was today. Um, that we was They were calling for snow for a while, but I think they've taken that out of the forecast. But uh, the deer are going to quickly get on a winter feeding pattern. Um, I always considered to cut off uh, December 1st, but uh, – that was just a general uh, cutoff uh, between the rut and, and the winter feeding pattern. Uh, it could go a, a couple of days either side of that, and uh, I think we're there. So uh, if you catch a buck uh, cruising or with a hot doe, uh, that's going to be pretty rare from here on out. Um, and with each passing day, become even more rare. So um, I, I consider the first two weeks of December – to be the worst time of the year of the whole season as far as uh, hunting success. As those bucks come out of rut, a lot of times they lay up and they don't get out of their bed till about dark and they'll go feed at night and they'll be right back. There's just not a whole lot of daylight movement. So for, for a couple of weeks here, um, you know, it's hunting's going to be about as bad as it, it can be for the entire season. But then as we get closer to Christmas, then you're going to want to start watching them cold weather fronts that are coming through that'll get those deer moving up maybe a little bit earlier in the afternoon towards those food sources. Yeah. Um, I know we went last night and the last two evenings have been really, really slow and only movement right at dark. Um, and, uh, I'm hoping that this weather, we're actually supposed to get snow now. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, um, not only the, uh, the, the weather gets, uh, 
the deer up and moving a little bit. We want that cold weather to spark uh, the palability in some of our uh, winter plots with our brassicas. So the guys that are, you know, wondering why their deer aren't hitting their uh, their uh, sugar beets or purple top turnips, and they're still on the uh, the lagoons like the clover and the alfalfa. Part of that reason is is that the uh, the you haven't had cold enough temps to drop those nitrates in the in the plant, so they're not as uh, they're not as palatable. So hopefully that cycle will happen. We've been awful warm the month of November. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, outside of that, the rut report's going to be ending. Um, the messages that that both you and I are getting. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's like for you, but for my side, it's really hard to keep up with them. Well, I spent my entire day Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. I did hunt with my son-in-law Friday afternoon for two or three hours. But other than that, from the time I got up to the time I went to bed, both Friday and Saturday, I was trying to keep up on messages, um, text messages, uh, phone messages, emails, social media messages, and, you know, you would answer one and that person would fire back and want to have a conversation. I'm, folks, I'm doing my best to, to answer everything I get. Um, there may be one or two fall through the cracks that, uh, for whatever reason, I miss, but I'm trying to answer everyone. And if you get an answer or you send something to me and the answer seems very brief, it's because... I'm literally talking to over a hundred different deer hunters every single day by one means or another. And I don't want to leave anybody out. I absolutely appreciate everyone's support more than I can even say. And, and I'm trying my best and Terry, if it wasn't for you helping, cause you're probably talking to the same number. Um, especially being that you're handling the real world emails too. Um, if it wasn't for you helping, I don't know where I'd be. Yeah, I think that I think that people think that I'm your public relations agent <laughs> a little bit. You but, mean you're uh, not? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm I don't do a very good job at it if that's what my responsibility is. But um, uh, you do a great job. You, people people just please understand. Um, is, and I'm just going to touch on this. We 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 talked about this the last episode. Um, especially with so many new people that are being exposed to Don and Higgins outdoors and real world, um, the send, sending, uh, pictures of your farm and telling, asking us what you should plant. Um, we, we can't do land consulting for everybody that does that. And it's not because we don't want to help. It's just the value that Don and I put in the advice we give, um, outside of, here's the advantages to planting soybeans. Here's the advantages of doing fall plots. Here's the advantages of doing diversity. When it comes to actually hunting your property, there's just no way we can give you the advice that we think that, that goes alongside of the, of, um, the values we have and, and, and what we say, uh, by aerial map. So please forgive us if we're not being real, real responsive when people send us. Cause I think I got, six or seven aerials today mm-hmm. so it's it's just too tough and we don't want to be the guys that you know throw out advice with we don't know that it'll work or not when we give advice it, it we fully believe it to be accurate and uh, with an aerial photo you just it, it's kind of a crapshoot you're throwing darts and 
and maybe the advice is going to work. Maybe it's not. We just don't like to operate that way. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is, um, your, your consulting schedule normally gets filled up in late December and January. You're pushing, uh, getting filled up now, um, which is a good thing. But if somebody wants to get you on the schedule, they need to contact you immediately. But you are also starting something else to help um, with the amount of people that's asking for you to come into your property. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, my, my the demand for my consulting service has just grown each year. And, you know, I know people look at the price and they think that's ridiculous. And what I've done over the years is I've slowly tried to raise that price to get the, to cut down the demand so that, that the demand basically equaled the amount of time I had to devote to it. And um, I've raised my prices to the point where I, it's going to cut a lot of people out. And I don't like that at all. I don't like, uh, I don't like that hunting has become a rich man's sport and that if you can't, you know, afford several thousand dollars to have a, a consultant come out that you really don't have a good option. So I've been working with uh, my partner at Real World, Wes Delks, um, for several years. I knew him way before he was a part owner in Real World. He's worked with me on my own farm. He's went with me on consulting visits. We have a lease together. Um, and I feel very comfortable um, sending folks to Wes. Now, you know, a lot of people are going to balk at that and say, well, why would I hire this young guy? And, and my response to it, first of all, you're only going to, he's only going to charge you half what, what it would cost to have me there. Uh, so you're going to save a bunch of money. But the other thing is, you know, his plan is going to follow the same principles that mine will. Um, so it's going to end up being very close to the same plan. It might not be exact, but it's not going to be a whole lot different, but it's going to save you a bunch of money. And uh, there's a lot of consultants out there, and there, there's some good ones for sure, but there's also some that are in it just for the money. And I've seen their plans. In fact, I was just sent a plan today that, that somebody had another person do, and they wanted me to review their plan and look at it. And they want to know my thoughts and my thoughts were very simple. What's that Terry? You broke up again. So uh, just repeat that. The, the, your thoughts are very simple. What? Um, my, if I, my thoughts on their plan were very simple. If I would have done the plan, it would have looked a whole lot different than the plan they got from whoever it was. I don't even know the name of the person that did their plan, but uh, Wes is a guy that, that I feel confident in working with. Um, I've just put his information on my website on the consulting page. It'll be down at the bottom of that consulting page. You'll have Wes's uh, rates for, for different size properties, and it also has his contact info, um, a little bit of text about Wes, and there's a video that's not there yet that should be in the next 24 hours or so. So, um, you know, I'm getting pretty full on my end, but uh, Wes still has some openings, so you still have options. And for those wondering, I am not available for land consulting. I don't have any desire to do land yeah. consulting. Um, uh, I'm I'm too busy. 
So the people have to understand that time of the year I'm coaching high school fast pitch softball. So um, that, that working with kids fills all of my spare time. So um, I don't think shifting a little bit of gears here, I don't think that people have a misunderstanding about your view on mechanical broadheads at this point. <laughs> no. And, and you know, um, I, I think a couple episodes ago, I made my view on mechanical broadheads very clear, but I, I wanted to talk about it again just a little bit tonight because uh, I've got a lot of feedback on that and, and people saying that they're actually going to switch from mechanical broadheads. People telling me the horror stories of, of losing deer that they shot with mechanical broadheads. And I'm not going to get into a rant like I did before. I'm going to try not to, but folks, whenever I offer advice, I, I do it because I, I want to look out for your best interest. I want to help you and sincerely And mechanical broadheads are, are basically, uh, they should be outlawed. Um, if you're using mechanical broadheads, it's not if you will lose a deer, it's just a matter of when. How, how long is it going to be? The last thing you want to happen is have the buck of your dreams come by, a buck you've waited your entire life for, and you shoot him with a mechanical broadhead, hit him in the shoulder or whatever, get zero penetration, and you lose that deer. Or, or maybe you hit, make a bad hit, and, uh, and you just can't find him. Uh, I want to tell you, with, with my setup, and I've got a lot of questions about my setup, I use heavy arrows, and I use a, a good, solid, um, traditional broadhead. Um, I'm actually using the Slick Trick Magnums, um, the, the stainless steel ones that are really hardened steel. And I will shoot right through a shoulder of a deer. Uh, and if I hit the, the uh, shoulder on the side of the shot, I guarantee I'm going right through it into that buck's chest cavity. Um, that deer's dead. Uh, you do that with an expandable, that deer is injured. You are n probably not ever going to find him. If, if he does die, there's a good chance he won't. There's a good chance he will. And, and if he does, your odds of finding him are very low. Uh, I know Terry and I have, have made fun of tree saddles, and this is a totally different situation here. I, I really don't care who uses a tree saddle. It all started as a joke when Wes bought one and Terry and I told him he wouldn't use it for a season. And, and that's exactly what happened. I, I'm not joking about mechanical broadheads. Those things are junk. They need to be thrown in a trash can and they need to be outlawed. They, they wound more deer than traditional broadheads. Get rid of them. And I'll leave it at that. Well, the thing that people have to understand is that this is out of concern and out are you of, silent, Terry? I'm here. Are you here? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I said that what I was saying was is that this is not a sponsored plug. Um, Don is not affiliated with any arrow or broadhead manufacturer. There is no hidden agenda here. It is just something that is a concern of his experience and what he sees works and what doesn't work and minimizing the risks or the um, the things that could go wrong. Um, when you put all of this time and effort together to go after an animal um, to uh, to minimize things that can go wrong. So that's that's the only angle that that's coming from. So I hope people appreciate that. So um, 
We're going to talk about the giveaway a little bit later, but w- can we break off to the uh, biofarm.com property of the week for, for a minute? Yeah, All I right. think it's a good time for it. Biofarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. Okay, today's featured property is a 74-acre tract in Hamilton County, Illinois. Uh, this uh, tract of ground has a, a beautiful brick home on it, uh, over 2,500-square-foot home. Four bedrooms, two and a half baths. There's a pole barn that measures 40 by 90 feet with a concrete floor. Uh, there's a five-acre lake on the property. And if you're into fishing, they've got bass, bluegill, and catfish in this uh, stocked lake. You need to go on the biofarm.com website, look at this listing, and take a look at some of the bass that they pulled out of this five-acre lake. Uh, there's also another small pond on the property. Some of the acreage is enrolled in a CRP tree program. Um, I think it's producing over $5,000 in annual income from that. Uh, Abundant deer and turkey on the property. Um, The home has an outside wood burner uh, for auxiliary heat. It's in the Hamilton County School District. And one thing that's kind of unique about this track is uh, it, it can be split up. If you're just interested in the land without the home, uh, the landowner is willing to, to split it up and, and sell you just the land, which would gain you the uh, five-acre lake, uh, you know, as well as the property to hunt. Um, it, it's located, uh, uh, the address is McLeansboro, Illinois. So uh, if you're interested in this property, just go to the biofarm.com website, look for the 74-acre Hamilton County uh, listing. Or call Jamie Keller. Jamie Keller's number is 618-713-7677. And she would be happy to uh, show you the home and the property. So one of the things we have to remember in today's in today's uh, you know, current status of the country is that these recreational properties are going extremely fast. So, um, you know, the team at Biofarm... Um, even if the properties that we don't mention on the air um, are not what you're looking for, reach out to these people. They can help plug you into the right um, uh, property to meet what you uh, what you want and what you're looking for. But um, don't want to don't want to dilly dally around too much because uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and and these these properties are being sold almost as fast as they're being listed. So um, please make sure you go over and um, visit biofarm.com, follow them on Facebook, and um, and tell them that the, the folks at Chasing Giants sent you. So thank you for your support. <clears throat> so submitted questions. Um, I don't know that we're going to have time for three of them tonight, but uh, why don't we jump right in and get to the first one? All right, we do have two. One thing I want to throw out to uh, the listeners is, you know, we give a free Chasing Giants T-shirt uh, to, if we use your question. Um, I'm currently out of some of the different sizes of t-shirts that they're on order. So if you have, if we've used your question in the last, uh, say three or four podcasts and you did not get a t-shirt yet, you will. It's just that I'm waiting on that order to come in. Okay. So, uh, the first question this evening comes from Cole Reagan. He is from Williamston, Michigan. Uh, Cole says, Don, congrats on mail. Excellent video. Thank you for the content. Question for you and Terry. 
I have heard you dismiss the idea of doe factories. However, over your vast years of hunting and consulting, have you seen properties with extremely high deer densities of does pushing mature bucks to leave and live on neighboring properties with lower competition for quality bedding and food? I hunt a property which I call the nursery, which due to the landowner does not, those are not allowed to be harvested on this 200 acres. It is not uncommon to see 50 to 75 does a hunt with many little bucks three years and younger during a hunt. I will get trail camera pictures of bucks over four years old throughout the season, but sightings are minimal. We liberally harvest does in surrounding sections. However, over years and years, the deer herd know the safe zone. I appreciate your guys' input and thoughts. Well, Cole, I'm going to go right to your last sentence. It says, the deer herd know the safe zone. Do you think the does are the only ones that know the safe zone and the mature bucks don't? I guarantee you the mature bucks are in the safe zone too. And I don't know, uh, you know, where that safe zone is in, in your area, but uh, if the does are there because it's the safest place to be, I can assure you the mature bucks are too. Now, I don't know what a mature buck is in your area, you live in Michigan, you know, the most mature buck in your area may be a two-year-old. Um, maybe not. I, I'm just going on the information I have here. The whole idea of a doe factory is a fallacy in which I explained in, in one of my YouTube videos. Um, you know, throughout much of the year, especially in the late spring, summer uh, months, a lot of times the buck herd is separate from the doe portion of the whitetail herd and the reason for that is it's mother nature's way of ensuring survival of the species so the doe herd gets the prime location to raise their fawns and the bucks move into other areas and get in bachelor groups um you know as they're growing their antlers but you know as as fall comes on the, the bachelor groups break up hunting season opens the rut takes place the, the herd comes together um, for more than one reason. It comes together for, for breeding. It also comes together uh, to concentrate around those fall food sources. Um, the whole idea of a doe factory, what we got to realize here is that there are people in this industry who are trying to make money. I want to be careful how I say this. They're trying to make money without regard to how they might mislead you a little bit. Um, there's people out there putting out one video after another because they're monetizing these videos on YouTube and they're getting paid. For it. Um, they, but, and they got to have a catchphrase. You know, that title on that YouTube video has got to catch the person's attention so they click on it. And then when they click on it, that person makes money because they monetized it. Um, at this point, we have not monetized any videos, even this mail video, which we knew was going to be a hit. Um, there may come a day when we do. We don't know yet. Uh, and there, there's a very good chance there will come that day. But the content that we put out is to help people. Um, it's not to make money, although I do make money through my consulting and such. But the info I share is absolutely 100% factual. Um, or if it's an opinion, I, I believe it to be true 100%.
I'm not looking for catchphrases like Doe Factory to get somebody to click on a video. That Doe Factory thing is so misleading, and it's caught on. There's a lot of people that, that believe in it um, just because they heard somebody say it. It's like a magazine article. If someone reads something in a magazine, they think it's absolutely true that having it published in a magazine gives it instant credibility. Well, a lot of times the author is a great writer, but his deer hunting experience is limited. Um, and you just need to keep that in mind. When, when you take an advice from anyone, look at that person's hunting success. And, you know, there's a big difference between shooting a deer with a high-powered rifle and shooting one under 20 yards of the bow. Um, so take a look at, at, at that person really close. And if they're if they appear to be successful, how are they doing it? Does it fall in line with what they're trying to to promote to others? The dough factory is just one that, that makes me want to beat my head against the wall because there's there's no dough factory. It's just a term that somebody has coined that is nonsense. Um, and I want to leave it at that. Terry, you want to jump in? Um. I... I go back to his question a little bit because I think there's two key points that he phrases in there, and that is is that <clears throat> um, I think he said um, they got trail camera pictures of mature bucks, but when they're hunting, they don't see many sightings. Did I imagine that, or is that the gist of what he said? I will get trail camera pictures of bucks over four years old throughout the season but sightings are minimal. I'm going to mm -hmm. guess that um, what he's trying to say there is, you know, you have your mature bucks there. <laughs> That's You just answered kind of your question is the, the bucks, you're, if you're getting yeah. pictures, you're there. So I would start back at, am I hunting in the right places at the right times? Um, most likely, um, I do think that in an area that has a lot more uh, does than bucks, um, you will probably not see as many during the rut because there isn't the competition. You know, those bucks are, we talked about it through lockdown. You know, as the bucks come out of lockdown, if there's more does, they don't have to travel as far to get to the next doe that might be in heat. Is that a correct statement? Absolutely. So so if you're a rut hunter and all of your all of your time and effort and your hunting strategy is around the rut, um, your buck to doe ratio being that far out of whack probably will hurt you. Um, I, I look at it the other way. I would rather have more does and I don't have 50 to 75, but I probably have 30 out in the field every night, um, in early and late season, but I would rather have those does to protect my younger bucks. So they're not running across to the neighbor's property. Uh, I do not believe that if you have that many does that a buck can't find a place to bed. A buck will find a place to bed in a fence row with a rose bush. Yep. Deer are the most adaptable, adaptable animal on the planet. And to say that they won't bed in a thicket or a thing of switchgrass because there's more than so many does, I just, I don't, I don't buy that. Well, yeah, I got off of my doe factory tangent there a little bit. And uh, I, I want to talk about my own property just a little bit. I think it's a great the, example. The, I, it is. It's perfect. Um, the idea is 
with the whole dough factory thing is you don't want to plant these uh, summer food sources because the does will pile in there and then you won't have bucks on your property. Well, that's the biggest bunch of garbage that's being promoted. I, I plant a lot of sp- plots in the spring that are prime in the summer, soybeans, clovers, things like that. Right. And in the summertime, I rarely, almost never get a picture of a buck on my place. You don't hardly ever see them. They, they summer elsewhere, but I'm telling you, during the fall, I've got the bucks in spades. They come from every direction. They pile on to my place. So the whole dough factory thing, it just irritates me to no end because it's, it's bad information that's being promoted. And I know firsthand from my own property that's what's, what's being promoted is just total garbage. Just like mechanical broadheads. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cole, thank you, thank you for your question. Um, you know, like like we said, um, different areas. I know you said you're in Michigan. Uh, different areas have different things going on. So um, obviously, if you have a follow up question or whatever, just reach out to us. But thank you for your question. You'll get a free T shirt in the mail when the sizes come in. If we don't have that size now, okay. Yeah, let's go to the Cole. let's go to the next question. Next question comes from John Ziegler, and he's from Shoals, Indiana. John says, hello, Don and Terry. Congratulations on your successes of this season. I really enjoy listening to the podcast, including your rants, i.e. the love swings, (laughs) (laughs) reading the rut reports, and taking in anything that you guys put out. Terry, you have mentioned a few times that you send teeth to be professionally analyzed for age but don seems to be quiet on that topic i asked him in a private message if he would send mel's teeth in and he responded with a short negative response even though my question could have had a more wordy response (laughs) Uh, i want to right there um, john i appreciate your your question and your support but uh, that that's just an example of, of, you know, I get on my email, for example, and I've got 50 emails to answer, and I'm trying to, to get everybody an answer. And sometimes I am brief, um, very brief, and, and I apologize for that. I, but I, I promise you, you're not the only one that's got a brief response. <laughs> Including so me. John, John, welcome to my world sometimes. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we get so busy. It's it's not personal. We're not trying to be rude. It's just we're trying to get to everybody. So, And we absolutely appreciate your, your uh, support. So uh, moving on, John says, I figured that Wildlife Analytical Lab could give a firm age of male and somewhat stop the naysayers. The same for the Joey Buck. Does Don not believe in the aging science or WAL, whatever well, that is? That's the name of the company, Wildlife Analytical Lab. Okay. Or is he just confident enough in his own assessment of age and that's sufficient for him? I have personal issues, questions about the science, so that is probably why I'm interested in Don's opinion in, on this. I sent five sets of teeth to them a few years ago, and I really had a problem with two of their conclusions. I've sent others over the years to two, but that one year raised the most doubts. In summary, what do you both think about aging deer via wall technology? Why is it or why isn't it of value? Thanks, John. P.S. I'm not sure if I understand Don's opinion of mechanical blade products. (laughs) (laughs) Being a little sarcastic <laughs> with that last one. Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate that last line, John. Thank you. <laughs> At least you get it. Uh, I'm going to give a short answer, then I'm going to turn it over to Terry because he has a whole lot more experience in this than I do. But with Mel, I, I wish I would have sent his teeth in. Um, I took his head to the taxidermist, and I forgot all about telling the taxidermist to save that jaw. Um, and, and when I remembered it a couple days later, it was too late. Um, it was the, it was the, the plan. Bump. It was the plan, but you know, looking back on it, there was so much going on with getting your nephews and Steve there, and you still being a little bit drained, recovering from COVID. Um, it, it was the plan to always get him aged to prove this. But right. it, it was just it, it slipped everybody's mind, and I I take responsibility because I should have reminded you about it. But we had talked about it, and I just assumed you'd kept him. Uh, but with that said, I am ninety nine percent confident Mel was a four and a half year old buck. Um, now Joey is a totally different story because I didn't even learn about that buck until he was mature. Uh, when my friend Joe Johnson found the sheds from that buck, uh, the first set he found would have been back in the spring of 2018. And uh, my, I was just guessing at that time that based on the mass, you know, the size of the pedicle and, and such, that I was guessing that was probably at least a four-year-old at that time. So I just considered him a four and left it at that, uh, which would make him seven and a half this year. Um, I did save the jawbone off Joey, and I am sending it in. Um, the kid to is have on, it aged. Yeah, the kid is on order for that one. You should be getting it in the mail here in the next couple of days. So, with that said, that's the story of my two bucks. And Terry has a lot more experience on this stuff. So, I have never sent a jawbone or a, the teeth in of a deer ever to be aged. Terry has sent several in, so I'm gonna let him take over from here. Well, John, I apologize in advance because this is going to be a roundabout answer to your question, but I want to touch on Mel for just a second. And there's a couple people that it's also questioned to verify it. If we were trying to be deceitful in the story of Mel, we wouldn't have even said he was a three-year-old when he was passed. It makes a better story if Don <laughs> would have passed him as a four-year-old to shoot him at five. You know, when when you're really looking at it. so there's nothing that is is playing out and for the people to take away uh the need to argue if he was really a three year old or he was older than that based on I think a total of three trail camera pictures and a very small um amount of footage that we put in that video. You have to understand Don watched them and studied hundreds of pictures of those deer. And that is the conclusion he had. And if you want to argue it, it it just baffles me that that's what people are getting out of that video is is the takeaway. But besides that, um, I don't really have um, an argument against um, Wildlife Analytical Lab as far as good, bad, and different. Um, I can just know, tell you the facts. The first the first time I sent a tooth in was uh what year was did i shoot the old guy don same year you shot smoky was that 17 17 so don had pictures of this deer um and thought he was nine years old and so i got the name of 
uh, this company. It was DeerAge.com, and it was actually owned by a some people in um, Texas, I believe, off the top of my head at that time. Well, um, in the meantime, after um, as I was transitioning, or they were transitioning, and I was sending mail in, um, a lady purchased it, I believe, in Wisconsin or Minnesota. So I don't know, John, when you've sent teeth in that you had good experience, bad experience, or questioned the results. Um, I would talk to them about that. I'm not going to argue their stance uh, for or against it um, with what the results are. Um, the owner of the company's name is Heather. She's a very nice lady, very responsive. I'm not sponsored by them. I just bought two kits from them, full pop. So uh, it's not a promotion on my part. The thing that I like about it is um, I I see the science in being able to count the rings of the inside of the tooth versus being subjective in trying to measure wear based on diet. You know, you can't tell me that if a deer eats soybean leaves all of his life versus a mountain deer who eats acorns and twigs and rocks to fill its belly that the teeth are going to wear the same. And I think that teeth wear analysis can get you in the ballpark, but I've also taken the jaw from my 10-year-old and showed it to people who claim that they're an expert in wear, and they've said he's a 4-year-old. So this is the closest thing to science that I know of to check it. So if you've if you've had a result that you don't agree with, I would take that up with them. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't know of a better way to kind of close the chapter and learn as much as you can about the animal that you harvested by sending it there. Um, but as for my dealings with them, I think they're very responsive, uh, great customer service. She's really grown the business. Um, I think I think last time I talked to her, she said that in the last year they've grown about 800%. So they've invested in new equipment, hired people, and are still trying to uh, to meet the demand of everybody wanting to learn more about their animal. So um, I don't doubt the science. I think it's pretty clear. Um, the be- The beauty of it is you only have to send in those two front teeth on the bottom of the jaw. Um, so you can do that even before I need to show Don how to do this next time I'm up there, but you can do this before you take your deer to the taxidermist, um, with just like a Havilon or a scalpel knife and a pair of needle nose pliers. So it's extremely easy to do. doesn't affect your mount. And, um, I think their entry level kit is like 38, 39 bucks. So we should, um, I have my packet for the Illinois shotgun deer that I killed, it's leaving tomorrow, so it'll arrive there uh, mid to end of the week. I should have my results back by mid next week on on my buck, and then um, the Joey buck. Uh, Don should get those um, um, that kid in, so he'll be probably a week behind me. So we'll have those results to share with you. But that's all I can really say. Well, like I said, I've never sent a set of teeth in, so I, I will, have... I will say this. Um, a friend of mine who listens to the podcast, uh, he's going to get a little embarrassed, but uh, he shot one of the biggest bucks of his life on a brand-new property. He listens to the podcast, and he was kind enough to send Don and I a gift. Uh, he shot a buck on Thanksgiving Day, 
and Don actually got on a FaceTime with him to say congratulations because I went over to look at the buck. The next morning, uh, I went over to take pictures for him, and uh, great buck. Um, he was proud of it. The neighbor came by, and I'm going to ask you and put you on the spot on this, Don. He said that a yearling buck will grow only two front teeth, and then every year after that, he grows another tooth. So he counted the number of teeth from center, and there was three on the front, and said, oh, that's a three-year-old. You ever heard anything like that? No. Well, I'm, I'm sure that's not accurate. <laughs> I, so told him, I told him I said. I guess. <laughs> I told him I said I have a 10 year old jawbone sitting in my room right now that according to you, he's a three year old. So um, yeah. I don't I don't know that he liked me telling uh, him that his theory wasn't accurate. But uh, there's not. a there's a lot of uh, there's probably a lot of ways that you can go about trying to figure out the age of a deer. Um, Don, one of his best videos, and I don't think it's got many uh, many uh, views, is aging bucks by trail camera pictures. That's really really tough. Once they get mature, you really can't tell. So um, I encourage you to find a way to send these teeth off. I don't know if uh, WAL is the only company or not. There might be somebody else. I'm not sure, but that's the one I use. So, well, thanks for your question, John. And uh, we'll be getting you a t shirt. Um, like I said, if anyone t- we used your question, you didn't get a t shirt yet, we will get you one just uh, as soon as we get them in hand. So, we do have some sizes which will be sent out immediately. So, before we pick the winner, um, of the uh, free master class, uh, let's talk a little bit. You said that you're going to uh, hunt these cold fronts with Corey here the next couple of days. Um, I think uh, second shotgun season is coming in in Illinois, right? Yeah, the second gun season is, uh, starts Thursday. Um, I'm anxious for that to be over. You know, that's when I can really start focusing on next year. I know which buck survived. Oh, well, I will know. Um, Within a few weeks of, of season being over, I'll be checking all my trail cameras and seeing which buck survives and uh, starting to work for next year. Yeah. And I still have a Kentucky tag and an Illinois archery tag, so I'm going to be waiting for a little bit later in December and waiting for those cold fronts, and uh, I'm going to be setting over some real-world soybeans here, hopefully in December as it gets cold. So. Mm-hmm. All right, do you got let's let's jump in and uh why don't we tell people how to enter into this contest again, make sure they understand it, and then you can disclose who the winner is and what the instructions need to be to um to uh get everything scheduled. Okay, yeah, um as everyone probably knows, I have a whitetail master course that I hold on my home farm in, in the spring. Uh we start on my farm, we go to a second property, we go right to the tree stands where I've shot some of my biggest bucks. And um, I'll explain why I hung my stand there, how I access the stand, how I play the wind, how, how the buck is using the wind, what makes that stand good for me, but also good for the buck to come by. They answer questions right there at the stand. We look at about a, a dozen different stand sites on the two properties. Um, we got some time in uh, the classroom. And, which is my shed. Um, lunch is served uh, the night before. We have like a social hour 
uh, with pizza and pop and Terry and I usually record a chasing giants podcast there, uh, live with the crowd and uh, take questions from the crowd instead of submitted questions. So, uh, it's become very popular and it's going to sell out here pretty quick. Uh, the three classes are limited to 20 students each, so 60 total students. And, uh, I've already got a, a good start on that 60. So, uh, this year we're going to give away, there, there's three classes held on Saturdays in March. Um, we're going to give away one free admission to each class. Uh, the first class will be on March the 13th. And so the person that I drew out right before um, we did this podcast, um, you have a free pass to the, the March 13th class. Um, if I call your name, just get a hold of me through... Uh, email through my website social media whatever you got to do and uh and make contact i'm also going to send you a uh, message through facebook um just to let you know that you won um but the first winner is ben hall and ben is from errol i think i'm saying this city right e-r-r-o-l errol new hampshire um ben you want a free admission to the March 13th master course and uh, I'll be in touch with you and look forward to seeing you there. All right. So um, make sure that you follow that criteria. We will be picking another winner um, on the next podcast for the next ma- for that se- uh, second master class. So uh, hope that um, um, this fellow can make it. Um, we do have some people, quite a few people that come down from the new England area. So uh, we can yep. we can help arrange uh, some recommendations for your travel logistics and anything you need there. So get with Don, and um, outside of that, um, I'm I'm still kind of stoked about this Mel video, buddy. I'm just I'm I'm so happy that people, uh, for the most part, got to see a glimpse of of the amount of work and effort you put into uh, chasing this passion of yours. Yeah, I'm I just I'm super pleased with the job steve did and we're actually going to be doing a a video on the joey buck i shot as well um i don't have near the footage and such uh of that buck that i had of mel but it's a very unique story and it kind of it really tells how i find a lot of these bucks i hunt not all of them but how i find some of these bucks uh, that i hunt um so be looking for that coming out in the future it's a great example of the same time same place theory you've written about for years i know you posted that on your social media the other day but just a reminder for uh for folks listening if you're not finding a way to log these trail camera photos to be able to yearly track the habits of these bucks you're missing a very crucial piece that you might need to close the deal yeah, you know, the, the really interesting thing, we talked about this a little bit on that special podcast the other day, Terry, but for anybody that might have missed it, I, I learned about this buck two years before killing him. I got permission on two very small uh, parcels uh, within that buck's range. Each one of those parcels had a little patch of brush on it. If you would have put the, all the brush together that was on both tracks of land, it would have maybe equaled about five acres of cover. And that was split in half between two properties. Um, but I had to wait for the right conditions. And I had permission on this property for two years. And I spent two years with trail cameras putting things together. And uh, 
went in and hunted the property 15 minutes into my first hunt, I shoot this buck. Uh, so it, it don't always happen like that, but, but this one just fell into place perfectly. And when you see the video, um, you know, you'll understand and a lot of things will make more sense than me just trying to describe it here. But, um, Uh, definitely a blessing to fill my second buck tag with another booter. Yeah. I'm excited about that. And we'll continue to update. And, you know, even though Don's tagged out, um, this podcast is still going to work to try to give insight of where we're at, um, in the hunting season and try to give, uh, some insight on how you can close the deal. Um, but, uh, we're running a little bit long. We're at an hour and 15. I think it's probably, unless you have something, uh, else you want to go over, I think it's probably time to thank our sponsors and close her out. Yeah, sounds good. I'm ready to wrap it up, Terry. All right. All right. We want to thank our sponsors, biofarm.com, 360 Hunting Blinds, Quiet Cat Bikes, Real World Wildlife Products, Vortex Optics, Matthews Archery, and Lone Wolf Tree Stand. Everybody be safe out there. See you next time.